The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 21, of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day, Paragraphs 3 and 4. Prayer with thanksgiving, being one special part of religious worship, is by God required of all men, and that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of his Spirit, according to his will, with understanding reverence, humility, vervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and, if vocal, in a known tongue. Paragraph 4. Prayer is to be made for things lawful, and for all sorts of men living, or that shall live hereafter, but not for the dead, nor for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned the sin unto death. Welcome one and all to This We Confess. It's episode 63 and we continue our walk through the Westminster Confession of Faith. Last time out we started into chapter 21 of religious worship and the Sabbath day. And we heard in that chapter that the Lord has made it clear in creation that there is a God, he does exist and he deserves our worship. But the Lord has not left us to feel our way towards him and to invent all kinds of different styles of worship that please us. In the word of God, the Lord is clear on how he is to be worshipped. And in the word, he has revealed the only acceptable way of worshipping him. And so with that stated once more, as we move into paragraph three and four, we are told that when we gather, when we come to worship, Prayer must be a part of our gathering. And the Westminster Divines tell us here that prayer with thanksgiving is one special part of religious worship. We read in Phil- It is as we read in Philippians 4 and verse 6 that we are not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let our requests be made known to God. And so the divines are correct when they say that we are to pray with thanksgiving. Prayer is not just listing off a whole load of things that we want the Lord to attend to. Prayer does not treat the Lord as if he is a genie in a lamp and we click our fingers or we rub the lamp and we get three magic wishes. We are to come to the Lord with glad and thankful hearts. In our prayers we are to come and remind ourselves of just how wonderful the Lord is. We are to be thankful to the one true God. But before we go any further, I think it would be useful to define what prayer actually is. And once again, our shorter catechism is incredibly helpful in this matter. Question 98 asks, what is prayer? And the answer given states, 
prayer is in offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Here is prayer. And as the divines correctly state in this paragraph, God requires prayer of all men. We read in Psalm 65 and verse 2, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. So the Lord requires this communication between himself and sinful humanity. He requires us to come before him with thanksgiving, to offer up our desires unto him, to pray to him in agreement with his will, to confess our sins and to acknowledge his mercies. This is required by God of us all. And so when we gather, we are to pray. It is to form a part of our religious worship. It is one special part of it. But again, we do not have to feel our way out in prayer and to try and figure out how it looks and what it's about. The Lord tells us in his word that we are to be men and women who come before him in prayer in a certain way. The Westminster Divines begin in this paragraph by stating that prayer, if it is to be accepted, is to be made in the name of the Son. And so we are to be mindful in our prayers once again that we believe our God is three at one. We are Trinitarians, and so when we pray, we pray as Trinitarians. We come to the Father in the name of the Son, in the strength and the help of the Holy Spirit. And the Westminster Divines outline exactly that in this paragraph. In John 14 and verse 13 and 14, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name... I will do it. And later in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 2 and 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We heard in our last episode that we worship with our mediator's help. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. He is the one who has paid the price for our sins. His obedience was perfect. He kept God's law fully, completely, passively and actively. And so therefore it is Jesus, the God-man, who is our mediator. And so it is only natural, therefore, that when we pray unto the Father, we come in the name of Christ. We come in the name of our mediator. But prayer is not always easy. And so it is a comfort and encouragement to know that as we pray, we do so by the help of the Holy Spirit. We read in Romans 8 and verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is a tremendous encouragement in our prayers because there are very few Christians who can say truthfully that prayer is always easy, that prayer is something that comes so naturally, that prayer is something that we delight in and we do consistently. Sometimes prayer is incredibly difficult. Sometimes our words fall short. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for or what to say. 
And so here, as we are urged to pray as Trinitarians to the Father in the name of the Son, we are reminded that we pray as Christians with the help of the Holy Spirit. And not only does the Holy Spirit intercede for us with groanings too deep for words, we know as well that Christ, our mediator, also is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. These things are a great encouragement for us in our prayers and should encourage us to pray more. When we pray, we do not stand alone. And when we pray, even in much weakness, we know that we have the help of the triune God. And so with that stated, the rest of paragraph 3 deals with how we are to pray, with the first statement being that we are to pray according to God's will. In other words, when we come, we are to say, as the Lord's Prayer teaches us, Thy will be done. We know that when we come to the Lord, we have troubles, we have problems, we have difficulties, and we want things to work out a certain way. But as we pray, we are to come in faith and submit ourselves to the will of God. God's ways are not our ways, and God's plans do not always match up with our own. But as Christians, we acknowledge him as the one true king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so again, as we pray, we pray according to God's will. Thy will be done, Lord. Thy will be done. And as we come, we do so with understanding with reverence, with humility, fervency, faith, love and perseverance. These words flow off the tongue, but they're all incredibly important as we pray. Firstly, we come with understanding of who we are. It is as Abraham stated in Genesis 18 and verse 27. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. It is not easy to come and to pray with humility and understanding of our lowly position, but we must learn how to do this. When we pray, we are coming before Almighty God. We're not speaking to the man down the street. We're not passing the time of day with the girl at the checkout and B&M. We are speaking to the thrice holy God. And that is not to say we shouldn't come before him frequently and regularly. We should come as little children onto our Heavenly Father. But we should never lose sight of who it is that we come before and who it is that we are. With Abraham, we are but dust and ashes. And so we pray with that understanding and we pray with humility. When we come as urged by the Lord's Prayer, we seek forgiveness for our debts. We seek that the Lord would help us to forgive those who have trespassed against us. And we pray that he will not lead us into temptation, but will deliver us from evil. Every day as we pray with understanding and humility, we know that we must come before the Lord asking for his help. He is good. He is holy. He is strong. But we are not. So we pray with understanding. We pray with humility. And we pray with reverence. Again, we know who it is that we come before. Psalm 47 and verse 7 states, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. It is as we read in Ecclesiastes 5 and verses 1 and 2. Guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, 
and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Sometimes when we come before the Lord, we are all talk. Sometimes with sinful hearts, we treat him as if he doesn't actually really know who he is speaking to. We think that we can hide things away from him. We think that he doesn't know all the secrets and corners of our heart. My friends, may the Lord forgive our foolishness and may we learn in prayer to come with understanding, humility and reverence for the King and therefore to let our words before him to be few. But with all of this stated, the divines are clear that we should also pray with fervency and perseverance. This is a message constantly received in the Holy Scriptures. In Ephesians 6 and verse 18, we are told to pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And Paul continues in Colossians 4 and verse 2, when he urges us to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So prayer isn't just for the bad days. Prayer isn't when the bad news comes in on the WhatsApp group and we all turn and fall on our knees. Prayer is to be something that concerns us all the time. We are to persevere in it. We are not to give up just when the Lord hasn't yet answered us. We are to continue steadfastly on prayer. We are to be watchful in it. We are to be mindful that prayer does not come naturally and the enemy seeks to keep us away from the place of prayer. And so to that end, we are to be consistently in prayer, both as individuals in our quiet place and also as the local church gathered. We are to come with understanding, reverence, humility, vervency, and, say the divines, we are to pray with faith and love. We are to come before the Lord, leaning on Christ, resting in Christ as he is offered in the gospel. We are to come with faith knowing that the Lord has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Hebrews 12 and verse 28. And because our kingdom cannot be shaken, we are to come confident in Christ. It is, as James says in James chapter 1 and verse 6 to 7, that when we ask, we are to ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Again, we see here the challenge in prayer. This does not come easy, and as believers, we are often beset on all sides by doubts and worry and fears. But in our prayers, we are to come in faith. We are to come believing that Christ is King and able to help us in our day of need. But prayer is not a cold-hearted thing. Prayer is to be bathed with love. It is again, as James says in chapter 5 and verse 16, that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Sometimes we may not think that others think very much of us, but if others take time to pray for us, then that is an incredibly loving gesture. Imagine the scale of that, my friends. Imagine that someone who knows you takes time to pray for you and to bring you and your problems and difficulties before the Lord. What greater gift could they give to you than to pray for you? 
But finally, in this paragraph, the Westminster Divines make it clear that prayer is also to be done intelligently. We are to pray, they say, in a known language. There are fellowships today who claim that the gift of speaking in tongues continues and that the gift of tongues is a private prayer language. And indeed, sometimes it's not even private. Sometimes they come with this special gift and use it and exercise it in worship services. The Westminster Divines tell us that there is no room for such a thing. The gift of tongues is the gift of knowing another language that you have never learned or studied before. A supernatural gift, a gift that has ceased in the history of the church. But still today, if we are to pray in the fellowship, we are to pray in a language that others can understand. If I stand and pray in French in an English-speaking fellowship, it does no good for anyone unless it is interpreted. And so the divines are clear. When we pray in the local fellowship, we are to pray in a known language. It is as we read in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 14, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so this is how we are to pray, consistently, passionately, faithfully, with humility, reverence and understanding. We're to pray in the threefold name of God to the Father, in the name of the Son, with the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we worship, we come to pray. As paragraph 4 begins, the divines show us what the content of our prayers should be. And they begin with a simple but important statement that when we pray, prayer is to be made for things lawful. It is, as we read in 1 John 5 and verse 14, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We've already stated in this episode that we are to pray according to the will of God. And when we pray, we can pray for anything that is lawful according to God's word. We come in prayer with much weakness and much sin. And so we must guard ourselves from praying for things which we have not been mandated to pray for in Holy Scripture. We are to not pray that sin will abound. We're not to pray for evil. We're not to pray for things according to the Word of God. Instead, prayer is to be made for things lawful. And with that stated, the divines continue that we are to pray for all sorts of men, both living and indeed who have yet to live. Whenever we gather as a church and we pray every week perhaps for the king and the politicians and our local authorities, we're not doing something out of mere tradition. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2 and verses 1 to 2 that we are to pray for everyone in high positions. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, says Paul for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so we are to pray for all sorts of men, both those in high position and both those in a lowly estate. And we are to pray for those who are still to come. It is acceptable in the sight of God to pray for future generations. We are able to say, Lord God, we ask that future generations will know you. We pray that in years to come, the church will go forward in this land, that there will be many raised up to preach the gospel. This is a good thing and a fitting thing to do. 
It is as Jesus prayed in John 17 and verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus was praying for his apostles who were there with him, but also those who would believe through the testimony of their apostles. And so we can pray for all men, both living and indeed those who are still to come. But it would not be lawful for us to pray for the dead. The divines are clear here and it mirrors the clear teaching of Holy Scripture. Roman Catholicism encourages to this very day prayers for the dead. But this is just another example of Rome's departure from the truth. We can do nothing for the dead. We can neither pray them out of hell nor pray them into heaven. This is just beyond our abilities. And again, we see it in Scripture. In 2 Samuel, in chapter 12, David's child has died. And he prayed for him when he was alive. But when the child died, he arose and ate food. And David's reply to this is, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And here is David's confidence about the eternal situation of his child, but also his understanding that his prayers and his fasting can do no good for his loved one who has died. Friends, we would do well to follow this example. We cannot and should not pray for the dead. And we see it again in Luke 16 and verse 25 and 26. The Lord Jesus is teaching about heaven and hell and he is using a story to do it. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So the Lord, even in a parable, shows us the truth of the reality between heaven and hell. There is a great chasm between both of those places, and we would do well to understand that praying for the dead does them no good, and indeed, praying for the dead is a sinful act before Almighty God. And as this paragraph closes, the divines touch on the sin unto death. And we are told that we are not to pray for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned the sin unto death. This is a very difficult subject and it comes from 1 John 5 and verse 16. John writes, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin, says John, that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. There are various explanations of what John means here, and I think we should tread carefully because at times it is incredibly difficult to nail down the apostle's intention. But I would offer this. I have preached First John before, and I suspect at some point in the future I will preach it again. And I believe that we can do well here by understanding the sin that leads to death 
to be the unforgivable sin that Jesus speaks about in Mark chapter 3. I'll remind you of that passage. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He, that is Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And Jesus called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying that he, being Jesus, has an unclean spirit. This passage speaks of the sin that cannot be forgiven. And what is that sin? That sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That sin is assigning the work of the devil onto Jesus. Some have argued it is the sin of suicide or it is the sin of some other description. But I think it is clear in the context of Mark 3 that the unforgivable sin, the sin unto death that John would put it, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It says that Jesus is in league with the devil and therefore the individual who commits such a sin has rejected Christ has assigned to Jesus evil motives and intentions, has claimed that Jesus is in league with Beelzebub. And such an individual, says Jesus, is guilty of an eternal sin. And such an individual, says John, has committed a sin that leads to death. And therefore, he writes, I do not say that one should pray for that. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we study these paragraphs, we hear how we are to pray, the content of our prayers, what we should ask God for, and also that which we should not pray. And so in response to this teaching today, I would urge you, in worship and in life, let us pray. As always today, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. Using the Westminster Shorter Catechism, define what we mean by prayer. Question 2. What do we mean when we say that our prayers are Trinitarian? Question 3. The Westminster Divine show us how we are to pray, but what characteristics should clearly be seen in our prayer life? Question 4. Why should we not pray for the dead? And question 5. The divines tell us that we are not to pray for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned the sin unto death. What is this sin, otherwise known as the unpardonable sin? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess. Mm -hmm.